Thank you, guys. Good morning, church. My name is Kendrick. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church West Hills. It's great to have you guys uh, here worshiping with us. Great to have you online worshiping with us. Uh, before we get started today, I just want to take a minute just to, to highlight two things. One, I just want to highlight the youth, man. What an awesome job that was. Uh, I chickened out. I drove out there. It was 114 degrees, dust pool, and said, oh, I got stuff to do at the office. I got to go back. And... Uh, but they did some hard work. They did some awesome things. The leaders that went with them, um, Sayla said she would wake up in the morning and Dina was outside in sandals hula hoeing before the, anybody got out of bed. So uh, Dina is teaching our girls work ethic. And so it was great. So uh, just when you see those leaders, tell them thank you and, and um, hope they get some sleep. The life of a youth pastor, Tim, got back after being all gone this morning. The first thing I saw him, I was like, so let me talk to you about next year what we're doing for youth camp. And he's like, wait, can we wait till Monday before we talk? Um, so he's trying to get back. So that was one thing. The other thing I want to talk to you about is I've been talking with Debbie at Open Arms uh, Pregnancy Resource Clinic and just saying, hey, I know there's a lot going on. How is a church, how can we help you? And she said, you, the thing that we need more than anything else right now is prayer. We need prayer. And I said, hey, we can do that as a church, right? So I committed and said, hey, we're going, to, we're going to pray for you. So I have sent some of those prayer requests out on the prayer chain. The other thing is I got prayer cards, right? We can fill out prayer cards. Inside the prayer card, there's a name of one of their employees. And just let them know that we're praying for them. And you drop them off, and we're going to send them to them. And to be an encouragement, to let them know that we are supporting them, to let them know that we are praying for them. If you would like a prayer card, the card's in there. The name's in there. All you got to do is write a prayer and encourage them. You can raise your hand, and I'm sure that there are some girls out there that have cards in their hand. You say, hey, I'm going to do one of those. You can take that prayer card. We'll get that to you. There's a basket right out there. You just drop it in the basket. We will take care of the rest, and we will get it to them and let them know uh, that we are praying for them. Um, but I've committed to them that as a church, we're going to pray for them. Don't make me a liar. That's bad. Uh, so we're going to keep doing that. So I just want to encourage you guys to take time to do that and to be praying for them as the Lord leads you these next several weeks. Okay, this morning we're going to continue our walk through the Gospel of John. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. You can keep your hands up. I'm not distracted. I love seeing the hands knowing that we're praying for people. It's actually really encouraging. So just, you can keep them up afterwards anyway. Okay, let me rephrase that. We didn't run out of cards. They're just not in this room. Well, we got more cards out there. We'll get them to you. Uh, that's good news. Thank you, church. Gosh, man, I'm thinking about the youth. I'm thinking about us praying and being active. With I love this church. I love you guys. I love being a part of this church. Okay, back. still love you, but we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. Okay, so we're going to go. We're going to be looking at, at John chapter 11. This is actually a huge turning point in the gospel of John. A lot of theologians, a lot of people that write commentaries say that the gospel of John could be broken up into two sections, right? The first half of the gospel of John is focusing on demonstrating that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. We've been talking about that a lot over the last, I think, 11 weeks. Just last week, there was a member in our church that came up to me and said, hey, pastor, next week, are you going to talk about us needing to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ again? Yes, I'm going to. 
right? I think that is important news. I get where the question is coming from. I get that it may uh, seem repetitive, but this is really, really important. If you are not a believer in Christ, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there is nothing more important that I can talk about or tell you than you need to know Christ as your Savior, So that is super important. So guess what? We're going to keep talking about that a lot. And that is John's point, right? That is his opinion that that is important. And as we looked at the first part of John's gospel, it is clear. He wrote this letter specifically sharing with us the signs or the miracles that Jesus did in front of his disciples. And do you know what the purpose of this gospel is? Please say you do because I've said it a hundred times. Right, it's in John chapter 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right, so he wrote this gospel with the intention that you would know Christ as the, that you would know Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. But if we look at that purpose, there's actually two points to it. One is knowing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And the second one is that by believing, we will have life in his name. So there's two points, and so far we've looked at six of the seven signs that John shares with us that we may believe in Jesus as the Christ, that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In chapter two, we looked at the changing the water into wine. In chapter four, we looked at the healing of the official son. In chapter five, we did the healing of the layman. In chapter six, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 plus and the walking on water. And in chapter nine, Uh, we looked at the healing of the man born blind. And these were all to reveal to us, to demonstrate to us, to prove to us that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And today we're going to look at the seventh sign. We're going to look at the sign. We're going to look at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So go ahead and open up your Bibles or click onto chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. And as I mentioned earlier, this sign is a transition in this Gospel. John uses this final sign to not only help us believe that Jesus is the Christ, but also to help us believe that we will have life in his name. So the answer to that lady's question from last week is, yes, we're going to talk about the importance of believing in Jesus as the Son of God. This is important to John. Just in this passage alone, six times, John says that you must believe You must trust in Jesus, just in the passage we're going to look today. So that is important. But this morning, we're also going to begin to look at what it means to have life in his name. See, this this sign is really an introduction to the second half of the gospel. For the rest of the gospel of John, we're going to look at how do we find life in his name? How did Jesus provide life in his name? What it looks like now, here in the present, to have life in his name, and how having life in him affects our hearts and our minds and our words and our deeds. These are all things that we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. But as we look at chapter 11, right before Jesus heads to Jerusalem for the final time, he heads down to the town of Bethany and he does this final sign. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And at this point in Jesus's ministry we're getting to that three-year mark people's ideas about Jesus are all over the place right obviously his disciples have some belief in him in this passage we're going to look at today they were willing to follow him to their deaths we bag on the disciples a lot but we got to give them some credit right they got some belief there they're willing to go with Jesus and others are still trying to figure out what they think about Jesus 
Right? Do they believe Jesus or are they just spectators that are just following him around because they want to see the next sign? They want to see the next thing that he does. And at the same time, there are many who hate him and want to kill him. So we have this wide spectrum of people as we come to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And as we look at the sign today, I want to break it down into four sections. I want us to first look at the purpose of the sign. And then I want us to look at the significance of the sign. And then I want us to look at the sign itself, the actual raising Lazarus from the dead. And then the outcome of the sign and what that means for us. So let's go ahead and get started with the purpose of the sign. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, there are, not tw- are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I am not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin and his fellow disciples, let us go, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And when we read this passage, the key to this passage is in verse four. It tells us the purpose. Jesus says, the, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And these first 16 verses as we read through it, John makes it very, very clear that Lazarus is dead. Right? And for some reason, we spend a lot of time focusing on this, on how many days and what's the timetable, and we do all these maths and all these calculations, and what was the time period from maybe the messenger leaving to Jesus hearing, to Jesus saying, no, we're going to wait, to Jesus showing up. That's not the point. The point is, Lazarus is dead. He is completely dead. When Jesus arrives, Lazarus has already been embalmed. He's in the tomb. He is dead. And as we look at this passage, the question we need to come up with, because we look at this, is why did Jesus delay? Not how long, but why? Why didn't he just raise Lazarus from the dead like he did the widow's son? Right? Raising Lazarus from the dead is not the first time Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Remember, he did the widow's son. He reached out and touched it, and the son stood up in the curse, sat up in the coffin. Well, what about Jairus' daughter? Right? He goes in there with her parents and prays. And she awakens and he tells the servants, get her something to eat. Instantly, these people 
were given life. So why did he delay? Why didn't he do that for Lazarus? Well, verse 4 says it was for his glory. So we have to ask ourselves, well, how does this lead to God's glory? How does this lead to the Son being glorified? And as we look at this passage, we see that the delay added to the purpose of the miracle in two very specific ways. For unbelievers, those that are still trying to decide if they believe in Jesus or not, the delay gave greater authority to the miracle, gave greater authority to the sign. It gave a greater opportunity for people to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus was the Son of God. Right? Jesus gave them time to process what he said. I'm going to go raise him from the dead. He's not dead. This is just temporary. He's going to live. And so people now start turning in their brains. Can he or can't he? For believers, I believe that delay stretches their faith. We know that the disciples already believed to, to some extent. We know that they believed to more than anybody else at that time. Yet Jesus still tells them, For your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So this delay was to help them grow in their faith. I believe that this delay has a greater impact on those that are watching to see what Jesus does than it has on Lazarus. Maybe, small exception, maybe if Lazarus is in his new heavenly home and he's rearranging the furniture and he's looking out his window and he's seeing the glory of God, he's preparing for some guests, maybe like Abraham or Moses or King David are coming over for tea, and then he gets that knock on the door and he's, he's expecting to welcome in the men, right? These great patriarchs of the faith, and instead it's this heavenly being, and he's like, hey, Lazarus, I'm really sorry, we usually don't do this, <laughs> but you got to go back. Right? If, if, I don't think that happened, but if it did, then this would have a great impact on Lazarus. And to be honest with you, I'd be really upset if I was Lazarus. Right? First century, desert, no AC, tents. Ah! No, I'd be upset. But I don't think that happened. Right? But let's talk about the disciples. Let's talk about the, 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 those that are watching, that are following Jesus. How much doubt... Right, crept into their hearts when Jesus says, hey, he's just sleeping, we're going to go raise him up. Right? And they have to start wrestling with that. And, and some people say, well, we don't know. But I'll, I'll make the argument that the best way for us to understand how much doubt and how much questions started coming into their heart, we just have to look at our own lives. Right? We just have to look at our own lives when we're dealing with difficult situations, when we're dealing with things that we don't understand. Right? When, when God doesn't act immediately after we've asked him to, we start to begin to question God. Right? When we are dealing with situations that can only be resolved by God, we start to doubt when they're not handled immediately the way that we want them to. When his timeline and our timeline, when they don't match and we have to wait to see God act, we begin to doubt. We begin to question. We wrestle with God and dare I say that even start to doubt God's love for us and maybe we even start to doubt God's sovereignty. Right? Maybe we say, well, I know, I'm sure God wants to do this, but he can't. I have a friend, she's actually my sister-in-law, and she dreamed of marrying and starting a family since she was a little girl. I think she was actually honestly surprised when Prince William and Prince Harry got married because I think she thought she was going to be that princess, right? That was something she had set her life on it. And at age 30, she began to think that maybe it wasn't God's plan for her to get married. Maybe it just wasn't going to happen. 
At age 36, God introduced her to her husband. At age 37, they got married. And at age 40, she gave birth to her first child. And I can tell you right now as I talk with Ashley, she sees the glory of God in her family as God provided more than she could have ever asked for or ever imagined in her husband and her son. And let me, let me tell you, she, didn't, she wasn't scraping the barrel. She actually had a pretty high standard for a person she wanted to date, a person she wanted to marry. So high, as a matter of fact, that when she went online and she filled out this, like, what are you looking for in a mate? The online dating service told her, uh, that's not possible. Right? You, you can't be a part of our online dating because the guy that you're looking for doesn't exist. Right? So you either have to change your standard or go somewhere else. Right? She, she didn't settle. And during that time and that absentness, doubt started to slip in. But God's glory shines even brighter now every day as she is with her husband, as she is with her son. And I'm going to tell you, because I know him, that Manny, her husband, there is another man made like him. Right, he is one of the nice, he is, I shouldn't say this, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. I always tell my wife, they're going to show up on one of those Dateline shows. Right, like, I didn't see it coming. I told Ashley and Manny, I'm going to use you as an illustration. Man, you can't ever go crazy. Right, but he is, he is, he is everything and even more than Ashley had looked for for those 36 years. And as we read through this passage, not just in these verses, but in a few of the passages we're going to read in just a minute, we see doubt in the heart of believers. We see doubt in the heart of those that claim to know and love Jesus. Some of them even suggest that Jesus' delay resulted in Lazarus' death. That, hey, Jesus, you didn't care enough to do something about this. You could have if you wanted to, but you didn't love us enough or you didn't care. And however, as we will soon come to learn, that delay was not some callous act It wasn't some thoughtlessness, but it was actually a genuine act of love that glorified the Son and brought glory to the Father by by helping to grow the faith of Mary and Martha and the disciples and all those other people that are trying to question. They see this sign, and they become believers and begin to follow Jesus. And when we look at this, that is the purpose of this sign. It's not just to simply raise somebody from the dead. It's not just simply so Jesus can have one of his friends back. The entire purpose of this sign is to reveal God's glory. Don't don't skip through that as you're reading this and, and get stuck on things that don't matter. The purpose is to reveal God's glory. And in the next passage, we're going to look at the significance of this sign. Let's begin in verse 17. I left my reading glasses, so this is difficult, just so you know. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was not near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? When we look at this passage, I want us to remember something. I want us to remember a story that Jesus did. Do you you remember when Jesus forgave the, the layman of his sins? And the spiritual leaders, when he said that, he said, your sins are forgiven. They got all crazy. Right? Do you remember they got all mad and they wanted to kill Jesus? How, how dare you say that? Only God can say that. You can't do that. You don't have the authority or the power to do those things. And then Jesus looked at him and said, hey, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Right? Because he can, people can say, hey, your sins are forgiven. And there's no way to really tangibly prove that. But if you tell somebody who's been lame forever, hey, get up and walk, and they pick up their mat and walk, that shows you have some authority, right? So Jesus asks them that question. And of course they just stare at him because any way you answer that, you're wrong when you're talking to Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man, what does he say? Take up your mat and walk, right? This is like a drop the mic. This is an in your face. This is a talk to the hand. This is Jesus telling them, you guys are idiots, right? And, And what does that guy do? He gets up and walks. He gets up, he rolls up his mat, and he walks. And that was a, Jesus physically healed that man to demonstrate his spiritual power, to demonstrate his spiritual authority. And we look at the significance of this sign, and this is a physical demonstration of Jesus' power over death. Right? That, that's, that's pretty significant. Right? Jesus said, hey, I, I am life, and let me show you. I'm going to raise this guy from the dead, and he shows that he has that power. And the significance of this sign reveals Jesus' power over death. Jesus does not simply obtain or promise the resurrection. He is the resurrection. Right? It is him. It is a, a person. The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. And his name is Jesus. It is in Jesus that we find life. Right? Resurrection from the dead and genuine internal life. Right? General, uh, genuine relationship with God are so closely tied to Jesus that they are embodied in him. That they can only be found through a relationship with him. Right? Those who believe in him, those that walk with him, those that have a relationship with him shall never die. Right, in that they too will triumph over death. Those who believe in the resurrection, those who believe in Jesus, will find life. 
And sometimes this concept of life, eternal life without death, right, filled with joy and peace is so hard for us to to wrap our brains around. When we look at the world today that is filled with conflict and brokenness and death, right, just watch the news. I don't know if I can remember a time when I have watched the news and I didn't see a story on some senseless random act of murder, right, some crazy extreme child abuse case that just breaks your heart. Right, these horrible atrocities being committed man against man all, all over the world, in our city and in our state, but then all over the world. It's hard on the heart. Right, as we watch these things, and it's hard to imagine a place where these things don't exist when we are just so saturated in them. It fills our heart with sadness and grief and anger. And sometimes as we watch these shows, we are even filled with hopelessness. Man, this one never work. And as we see in this passage, the second half of those verses I just read, Jesus is, is outraged and saddened at the presence of death in this fallen world. And Jesus wept. He missed his friend, but then he looked at creation, something that he spoke and he saw it in its perfect creation form and said, this is not the way this was intended to be. This is not the way that things are supposed to be. And Jesus recognized that. Just as we recognize that. We say, this, this isn't the thing. This is a matchup with Scripture. When we looked at Genesis and we looked at the Garden of Eden, we said in the beginning, we said, oh, this is perfect. This is how things are supposed to be. And we get to Revelation, we say, oh, we're back walking in the garden. Right? Right now is not the way that things are supposed to be. And as Jesus sees us, he recognizes that. But unlike us, Jesus can do something about it. Right, we can't do anything about it, but Jesus can do something about it. And so that has, to, that has to make you ask the question, right? It presents the question, well, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he do anything about it? He did. You read my notes. He did. Right? He did do something about it. He gave his son who will give life for every wicked and sinful thing ever done. For every murder, for every rape, for every act of adultery, for every lie, for every careless and nonchalant time we approached his word, we approached his throne, when we ran to him to get what we not, not to see his glory. Man, you look at the Old Testament, bad things happen to people who worship God wrong, right? Bad things happen to people who put themselves before God. And all of those things that we do, Right? We put our preferences before God. We put our wants and our desires before God. We cower because we don't think God loves us. We cower because we don't think God can save us. We cower because we don't think God can protect us as we proclaim his name to the nations. All of those things are deserving of death. Every single one of them are deserving of death. But Jesus did something about it. But God did something about it. God gave us his son. Right? He gave us the resurrection. And we, deserving of death, he gave us life. Right? He gave us life through his son. And God's glory and the glorification of God's son, Jesus, will be seen when he is overthrowing every single horror of death. When he is defeating death. It is then when we believe that Jesus is enough. It is then when we believe that Jesus is God. 
It is then when we believe that Jesus is Savior and that we as sinners need a Savior and we follow and we repent and we turn to follow Him that we will see the glory of God. And it is then that we will begin to understand not what, but who the resurrection is. And as people gather to mourn Lazarus' death, Jesus performs the sign to show that death is not the final act. Death is not the end, but, but life through the resurrection of the glory of God is the final act for all who believe. Right? We don't end in some dismal abyss. Our life will just begin when we stand in the glory of God through the resurrection. So as we look at this, we know that the purpose of the sign is to reveal God's glory. We know the significance of the sign is to reveal that Jesus is the resurrection. And now we look at the sign, and this is simple. It's simply Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, revealing that even in our doubt, Jesus can provide life. And read with me, beginning in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor For he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. And just as, and just as Jesus created everything, just as Jesus calmed the storms, just as Jesus cast out the demons with single words, he gave life to the death. Single words, he said, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine what would happen if Jesus didn't say Lazarus? If he was just standing in this graveyard in this tomb and he said, come out. Can you imagine like all these bodies just coming out, right? Jesus had to say, hey, just, just Lazarus, the rest of you later. But, but just Lazarus, right? That would have been a crazy sight to see. Right? But the creation cannot deny the voice of the creator. And it was at this time for this point, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And again, this is a physical manifestation of a spiritual truth that is to come. In chapter 5 of the same gospel, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And in this passage, Jesus is emphasizing the present reality. The present reality. Like right now, this is something we can do right now of experiencing eternal life. He says the hour is now here. The spiritually dead who hear Jesus' message and believe will have life. Right? They will experience life now in the present. Not just on the other side of heaven. Sometimes us as Christians, we think, oh, there's there's nothing to gain here. I don't have life until I leave. That's not true. Jesus is the resurrection. You have life now when you put your faith in him. You experience the life that Jesus has planned for you now. When you are walking in relationship with Jesus. And we see that even in this passage, even in our doubt, Jesus is still able to take a a little bit of faith 
and show us the awesome glory of God. Even as Martha tries to stop Jesus from opening the smelly tomb, Jesus has compassion on her. Right? Jesus loves her. That delay was not some callous. It was, it was an act of love because he says, right, I'm going to grow your faith right now more than you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind. I'm going to do something right now that's going to grow your faith so much. And he says there, for all who believe will see the glory of God. And he prayed, giving glory to the Father. Then he calls Lazarus out of the grave. And those who believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, they, they are seeing, they are experiencing that, that God can give life now. That relationship with Jesus gives us life now. And even in our doubt, Jesus can still give us life. Even in our doubt, when Jesus gives us life, we can see the glory of God. And this sign is simple. It's Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and it's revealing that Jesus gives life even in our doubt. And so the the purpose of this sign is to give glory to God. The significance of the sign is to reveal that Jesus is the resurrection. It's not an event. It's a person. And it's Jesus that is life. And then the sign is also revealing that we have faith. Even if it's mixed with doubt, Jesus can still give us life. And the outcome, let's look at the outcome. The outcome of this this sign is unique to the other times that Jesus raised somebody from the dead. I was, remember I was studying this and I said, I want to see, what, what, like, why does this one get so much publicity? Why is this one this, the one that marks Jesus as the, the, the supreme over death when he's already done this? Right? And then as I started looking at these outcomes, it became clear. Let's look at this together. Uh, uh, beginning in verse 45. <clears throat> it says, Many of the Jews therefore had come with Mary and had seen what he had did, and they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the, uh, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now as we look at this, we see that there is one similar outcome. right? Just as in the other times that Jesus raised people from the dead, people came to a faith in Christ. People came to believe that he was the son of God, that he was the Christ. We see that. We see that people were amazed and God was glorified through it all. In some of the other accounts, we see the people proclaiming that God has visited us. We see people ready to make him the king. Hey, there's something special about this guy. He's he's from God and and they're trying to, to make him the king. And we see here that there was people that believed and followed God, but yet Unlike the others, we see that people now, because of this sign, are conspiring to kill him. Right? People say, hey, we got to kill him because of these signs that he is doing. And it's funny, right? It's ironic that God uses one of them who is plotting Jesus' death, Caiaphas, the high priest, to, it's not accident because God had it planned, but I'm going to say to inadvertently 
prophesized that Jesus' death would be an explicit substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. Right? This Caiaphas, this high priest, he doesn't even know what he's saying, but he is actually prophesizing to the world the glory of God. Right? He's saying that, that these are, it's going to be an atonement for the sins of the world, not just for the high priest, not just for the disciples, not just for the religious leaders, not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. That through the death of this one man, the entire world is going to be offered life. The entire world is going to be often forgiveness of sins. Their sins will be atoned for. And through his death, life would be given and God's glory would be revealed to all. Right? Still today, 2,000 years later, we are still amazed that the tomb was empty, that God defeated death, that God forgave our sins, and that God still offers life to us. And as we look at this, we know that the God of all grace is sovereignly working at all times and in all places. Right? We, we see this, and we see that God sits in heaven, and he laughs at those who plot and scheme against his saving purposes of his son. He chuckles with them. Right? I think there's some points he even says, oh, yeah, I'm going to use you to tell the world of what I'm going to do. Right? 2,000 years later, we are still reading about this guy who prophesied what Jesus was going to do, and here he thinks he's just talking about killing him. But God used this guy to proclaim the fullness and the greatness of God. And just as Paul writes in his letters to, to the Corinthians that death is man's last enemy. But as we see in this sign, and as Caiaphas prophesied, Jesus will defeat death once and for all, all at one time. He would go to the cross, and that single action would provide forgiveness of sins for every single person in the past, present, and future. All who believe will see God's glory and will have life in Jesus' name. Church, if you've never placed, if there's somebody in here, if there's somebody watching, there's somebody in this room, and, and it's not a secret. There is somebody in this room, and I don't know who it is. But you don't believe. You haven't put your faith in Christ. Right? You have yet to see the, the glory of God. You've yet to experience the life in Christ, the life in Jesus, the life of the resurrection. And there's nothing more important that we can ask, that I can ask, that you would give your life to Jesus. And you say, well, I don't know if I understand it all. Guess what? I don't understand it all. all right? But I understand the gospel. And I understand who I am. I understand who Jesus is. And I understand that Jesus died for me so that I could be in the presence of God and that Jesus died for me and gave me life. And that life is when I'm walking in relationship with Jesus. And it's then that I see the glory of God. And, and guess what? This isn't something I want to do by myself. This is something I want to do with all of you. Right? Some of the greatest times and some of the important things of corporate worship is gathering with our brothers and sisters and worshiping God. There's something different about it. Because right? we see the glory of God when we are together. 
If you are a believer, then this story should be in, about Lazarus' death should encourage us. Right? It provides us platforms so that we can see the work of God and how God worked in his life to show his glory and how he can work in our life. Jesus said the illness that does not lead to death and we can take that illness and it can be extended to all of the trials that us as believers face. Everything we have to deal with that we don't know how to deal with, that we don't know how God's going to work, that there's no way that I can get us out of this. And we face those situations and when we're in, in the middle of them, our natural response is to run from them. Right, that we try to mitigate them somehow, that we remove them by any means possible, including God's intervention. Right, sometimes we just go to God and say, make this stop, make it go away. And when we face those things and we have hindsight and when we look at them from this side of the event, we notice that there was another option, or should I say perspective. Right, that we can offer our trials to God for him to either remove them or retain them as he desires and use them to deepen our faith. That they would grow in our relationship with him and possibly as others see us going through this trial and depending on God and then seeing God's glory on the other side, God will use that event to reveal his glory to others who will come to know him. When we look at our trials from that point of view, Right, that this is about me knowing God. That this is about God using me to reveal his glory to a lost and dying world. That's okay. Right? We can get through that time. And church, that's why our testimonies are so, so, so important. We have people in this church that are struggling with things that say, hey, I'm, I'm the only one going through this. Nobody knows what it's like to fight cancer like I'm doing. We have people in this church that have relied on God and are on the other side. Right? We have people in this church that are saying, I have an addiction that nobody else has faced. Nobody knows how to deal with addiction. We have people in this church who God has seen them through that addiction and they are now counseling and working with others. We have people in this church that say, you don't know the, the heartache of losing a child. We have people in this church that have lost a child that God is now using them to reveal his glory to others. Our testimony, people, our testimony. Don't be afraid of it. Don't hide it. Share it and see God's work. See God's glory. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, he said this, Trials afford God a platform for his working in our lives. Without them, I would never know how kind, how powerful, or how gracious he is. Right? The death of Lazarus proved to be for God's glory. Not in order that God may be praised. Right? The praise comes when we believe in him and our faith is grown. But John is speaking of God's glory as a revelation. Right, in order that God's glory may be revealed that through our trials we would know how kind and powerful and gracious he is and experience the life, the eternal life that he has designed, that he has planned for us. And that in living that life and giving him the glory, his glory would be magnified and other people would see that and would come to know him and put faith in him. The people in your lives would see the glory of God. They would see him giving you life 
And just like those that saw Lazarus have life, they would believe. It is in this sign, like all the other signs that Jesus performed, that God's glory is revealed, causing some to believe and leading those who believe to have a growing faith that they can experience in him. So as we face trials, as we face difficulties in our life, we have to ask ourselves, how is God using this to grow our faith? How is, how is God using this to show his glory to the world? Church this week, as you face those problems, and some of you say, oh, I'm in a good spot. Well, tomorrow's coming. Right? We, all, we all know that. Let's look at our first reaction to not run from the problem, but run to Jesus. Right? Let that be our first action, that we would run to Jesus to see his glory and to see the life that he has for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we could come and study these words. We are so grateful for John and that you used him to share these stories with us that we could just see the glory of God. Lord, we pray for our own lives, that our lives would be about you. We pray that in our tough times, in our good times, in our questioning times, Lord, we just pray that we would run to you. We would look at our lives and see how you are working in them and see how you can be glorified from them. And Lord, we just pray that we would use our lives for your glory, that we would use our lives to point to your glory. Lord, we pray that you would use our lives to help others to come to know you and love you and worship you. Lord, we love you. Lord, it's these things that we ask with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son and it's in his precious and powerful and holy name of Jesus that we ask all of these things. And all of God's people said, amen.